Welcome, 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 welcome to the Modern Medicine Movement Podcast. Dr. Thomas Hemingway here, super pumped, super grateful. Let's go. Woo. All right. So epic, so amazing, so awesome to be back here with you guys. Another week. Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. Anyway, it's a, it's a beautiful day. It's spring. Some places feels like summer, but the sun is out. It's shining bright. I got a little dose of vitamin D myself earlier. It was incredible. Ah, so blessed to be with you, Dr. Thomas Hemingway here. I am so pumped. We have an amazing episode that actually stemmed from my new community, the Thrive Community. I hope you guys have heard of that already. It's incredible. We get to meet live and discuss all things health. Lately, we've been on a little bit of a protein kick. The month of May was all about protein. And you can still jump in. You can still jump in. We have so much more to go. Lots of cool information. Lots of incredible help, camaraderie. You know, the, the power of the group is amazing. Having accountability partners to do this together. Many of you know that when you are held accountable for something, you often do it, <laughs> or more often do it than you might otherwise. And so join my Thrive community if you haven't already. There's a link here in the show notes and on the YouTube channel. It's incredible. You get way more of me. You get to interact with me, both in a live Zoom format, as well as I have a uh, thread that you can ask me questions. It is so cool, so awesome to be able to connect with me, and I love hearing from you. So Jump on over there to the Thrive Community. It's a monthly VIP paid access community, which is actually more affordable than a dinner out with your significant other. <laughs> I mean, how many times can you go out to eat for less than $30? I mean, it's pretty hard to do, especially if you're going to be like me and try to look for high quality real food. It's just hard to find it if your budget is less than 30 bucks for two people. So Anyway, it's well affordable. I'm keeping the price low for now. It will jump up in the future, but you can lock in an entire year for less than $300. So why not jump on the year and you will be so pumped, so stoked that you did. So Dr. Thomas Hemingway here. We have an incredible episode about the timing, the timing of our foods, not just food in general, but the specific macronutrients. When should we eat protein? When should we eat carbohydrates? When should we eat fats? And does it matter? There's so much talk about this lately. I've been, I've been kind of perusing the, the health and wellness influencers on, on the major you know, social media outlets, Instagram, etc. And everybody seems to have a different take on this. And you know what, guys? I don't present just my take. I present the data, the research, the actual studies that are out there. So I hope you'll find this both exciting, helpful, and entertaining. Because remember, the purpose of this podcast is to provide information and entertainment, right? It is not medical advice. It is not to substitute having a doctor. I recommend you all consult with your medical professional, your physician, prior to changing any health practices. But here we get to just talk story, we get to talk about the data, the latest and greatest. And I, I'm going to just start it off with a bang with this new research that uh, j- just came out in the last six months on the timing of my favorite macronutrient. Can any of you guys guess what this might be? Come on, drum roll, please. Let's see if we can hear a little bit of a drum beat. Ew. All right. 
All right, we're ready now. So the, uh, the macronutrient I probably love most, at least for this week, is none other than protein. And I love it so much because protein is indeed a, what we call it, essential macronutrient. I cannot say that for the carbohydrates, for example, because we can actually live without any significant source of carbohydrates. Our body, believe it or not, I know it's maybe, you know, apostasy for all of the vegans, vegetarians that have lots of their diet and carbs. You can actually live without any significant carbohydrate intake. Your body has the ability to make enough glucose to support the brain. Yes, your body can do that. It's called gluconeogenesis. Gluconeogenesis, the liver can make enough glucose to keep your brain going. In fact, the brain can operate even on alternate fuel sources. You guys have maybe heard of ketones or ketone bodies. You know, this is kind of the the thing in the keto community and paleo community. And I'm, I'm not saying that either one of these is better than another, but there are advantages, you know, and disadvantages. And everybody is different. The cool thing about what I have come to in my 20 years of medicine and many more years of just being a health and wellness aficionado enthusiast, you know, just learner, if you will, perpetual student. That's me, the perpetual student. Yes, I have an MD, but I'm always learning. I'm currently getting an additional certification in functional medicine from the Institute for Functional Medicine, which is ifm.org. If you guys need a functional medicine doc, which I highly recommend, these guys and gals are trained in how to do things naturally without necessarily using prescriptions. And there's a time for prescriptions. Absolutely, as a medical doctor, I'd be the first to say that there is a time and a place for prescription medication, but often it is too much of the time in the lay you know, world, in the Western world where I did my training. We often reach for that prescription pad way too quickly. So if you're finding that your doctor... Your wellness person is not quite on the same page with you and you're looking for maybe a physician or a wellness practitioner that has this added insight and training in functional medicine, go to ifm.org, a shameless plug for them because I just think they're an amazing group and I'm currently certifying with them. I've done uh, several courses already and it's stuff that I largely already know, but you know, why not get the check mark, the merit badge, whatever, because I think it's important because there's so much great information out there. So Institute for Functional Medicine, check them out. You can find a doctor there um, or provider if you need one that resonates with you. Anyway, protein, as I mentioned, is powerful. I love to talk about protein because it is essential, unlike carbohydrates, if you will, that we can manufacture appropriate glucose in our body and protein, we can't do that. We actually have no real factory, if you will, to make protein in our body. We can make it, but we have to make it from breaking down our own muscle if we don't eat it. So it's so important to eat protein each and every day. It is indeed essential. I cannot stress this enough. We should be eating protein each and every day because it is so essential, it's so powerful. And drum roll, please, one more time, one more time. The best time to eat that protein, actually, and the data shows it, is in the morning. In the morning, start your day with the power of protein. And I'm so excited, and I didn't plan this. I've always believed that starting your day with a protein-rich meal and healthy fats is the way to go. 
because carbs, on the other hand, in the morning, which is a standard practice of the SAD, S-A-D, SAD diet, standard American diet, is not awesome. <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit later. But for now, let's talk about protein because the timing is so critical. And there's a really cool study that just came out in the last six months out of Wasesda University and July 19th, 2021, published in Science Daily. And this is what they say. Proteins are essential for body growth and muscle building. However, protein metabolism varies depending on the body's internal biological clock. Go figure, right? There probably is a timing to this. And this is, we could call it chrono, right? The clock, chrononutrition, timing our nutrients based on our biological clock. So chrononutrition. Therefore, it is important to know the distribution of protein over the day and how it affects the muscles. So research have now found that consumption of proteins at breakfast or in the morning increases muscle size. We all want to have muscle size, right? We want to increase our muscle size. <laughs> For you YouTubers out there, you guys just get the benefit of seeing this amazingness uh, in person, live, and on video. But the listeners just missed out on a little Dr. Hemingway flex. Because <laughs> I am still, even though many of you know that I badly injured my hand, I am still, yes, I am trying very hard to keep my muscle tone. And I, although I can't grip anything or do anything with my left hand, that doesn't mean that I'm not working out. <laughs> and so you YouTubers out there, all you folks that can watch this on video can see that I am lifting weights as we speak from my standing desk. I have a standing desk everywhere I go because you know what I have everywhere I go? I have the availability of cardboard. <laughs> Yes, it's that simple. A cardboard box you can throw on top of your desk. That's what I'm using today. I got my laptop on top of it. I'm recording for you at my standing desk. And it's amazing. And what I wanted to say with respect to why I still work out, even during my bad injury, although I can't lift with my injured hand, I'm working out with my opposite or contralateral or unaffected hand. Because when you do that, you cause the body to release important growth hormones like growth hormone itself, human growth hormone or HGH and others that help both support, sustain and grow your muscles. And so what that does, even though I'm not lifting with my injured hand, as I lift with my contralateral hand and, and I'm building muscle there, there's some sort of watershed spillover overflow in the hormone business that allows my affected side right now to not lose so much muscle mass because it's still getting some stimulation from the hormones that are being released when I exercise my contralateral body. And there is data in this. This is something I've always believed that motion is the potion, that secret sauce, the thing that keeps you lively, that keeps you healthy, keeps your body just running, you know, in the efficient and amazing way that it can. But also you need to keep moving even when you get injured as much as you can, as much as you are able, whatever's within the recommendation, you can maybe just move the other side if you break a appendage like I have recently I've broken both of my arms in the last two years, and it's been wacky. But what I've tried to continue to do is still exercise, still use at least my contralateral side, because that will basically make it so I don't lose so much muscle mass on the injured side. And that's data proven. And the reason for this is those cool hormones like HGH, human growth hormone, which are released during exercise. And this new study just six months ago um, just proves that protein, not only is it essential, is it imperative, is it important, 
but actually the timing matters. And so this was really cool. They studied it initially, not surprisingly, in the lab, this chrononutrition therapy of having protein at different times of the day, and they tried to assess which was ideal. And based on the circadian rhythm, the chronotrophs that they studied, they actually initially just used mice because that's just easier to study in the lab, right? And they they timed the protein. They did it, you know, all throughout the day. They did just focused on the three meals, and then they focused it more highly in the morning. And what they found was that it was more effective if they did it in the morning. It was really cool because they even would use the same amounts at night as they did in the morning. It just did not have as great of effect. So the cool thing is once they did this, they actually transferred this idea to apply it to humans. They wanted to see if this worked in humans too. So they used a study group of 65 women. Hey, shout out to all the women out there. You are amazing. They used 65 women who took protein primarily at breakfast rather than dinner. And they showed butter. They showed butter. Yeah, they show much butter, much better muscle function. And this is cool. Um, I'm just reading this out of the paper from Science Daily. I'll put the um, link in the show notes. But what they say here is that when they did the study in humans, it was published in Cell Reports. It says protein-rich diet at an early phase of the daily active period, that is at breakfast, was important to maintain skeletal muscle health and enhance volume and grip strength. So it not only maintained your muscle so you don't lose it because the age-old curse as we get older is this thing called sarcopenia. And sarcopenia is not awesome. We don't want this. This is where we lose muscle mass over time and it puts us at risk basically for every disease out there. It is not what you want. There's a doc out there who I follow who's fantastic at, at really preaching this daily, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. I hope you'll follow her as well. I'm going to hopefully get her on the podcast soon because she really understands this really, really well, how to maintain your muscle mass and even grow it at any age. And so this is what I aim to do personally. And this study found that for humans uh, in general, it says the protein intake at breakfast needs to be more weighty than at dinner. And the findings strongly support changing the norm and consuming more protein at breakfast or morning snack time than in the evening. Because there was some initial data, a lot of confusion out there in the sort of muscle fitness industry. A lot of folks will say, you know, have protein at night. And I'm not saying don't have protein at night, but what I am saying is have the preponderance, the bigger volume of protein in the morning. And the basic bare bones minimum so you don't lose out, you don't lose your muscle, even if you're not really doing anything, is 0.8 grams per kilo. So for me, roughly 70 some odd kilo guy, I got to be taking at least 60 grams of protein to hopefully not lose any muscle. Now that remember, when they call a recommended daily allowance or RDA, that is not the optimal dose. Many people don't understand this. They think, okay, I'll just shoot for that. But that is essentially the bare minimum. In fact, almost all of us will need more than 0.8 and most of us closer to one to 1.6 grams per kilo. I try to get at least 1.6 grams per kilo for for me, 70 kilogram dude, that's going to be roughly 120 grams of protein a day. So what my goal has been is to get 40 at every meal. So that's 120, but I actually weigh it more heavily in the beginning of the day. Let me just uh, give you an example. Today I had for breakfast, uh, four eggs. So that's roughly about 28 grams of protein. I also had one of these amazing, uh, grass fed and finished sausages from Teton Waters Ranch. I think that's another eight or so 
I forget, I don't have the package in front of me, but let's just say eight or so grams. So that was 28 plus eight, 36 grams of protein. So I started with that meal, 36 grams. And then um, I had just about maybe an hour or so later, I had a protein shake, which my current favorite <laughs> is this brand called Muscle Feast, you know, probably because it sounds amazing, but it's also grass-fed whey isolate that I get. So it's high quality from grass-fed animals, which are getting the species-appropriate diet. That's what they're supposed to eat, right? If we're buying, you know, either a protein supplement or we're eating the meat of an animal that's not eating what it's designed to eat, which is grass, you know, if it's a cow, for example, we can get messed up by the inflammation that they could have if they've been eating things like soybean oil, canola oil, grains, you know, oats, you know, things that they're not supposed to be eating. They're, they're supposed to be eating grass. That's why they have the multiple stomachs, right? They ferment them. They go from one stomach to the next and they can process it really well. And also if they eat additional phytonutrients, this has been really cool. Recent studies coming out of the Mediterranean where they have animals which are always free range grazing. I just witnessed this being in Portugal a couple of weeks ago. They're literally just roaming everywhere. And you can actually specifically have them eat certain herbs, certain plants that have important functional or or healthy characteristics called the phytonutrients and when they eat those and then when you eat them that grass-fed and finished beef that has had an amazing diet you actually will get some of the benefits from those very plants that they ate which is incredible but the converse is also true right if we eat non-grass-fed and finished you know feedlot animals so to speak whether it be chicken you know poultry whatever or, you know, meat, red meat, if we're eating the feedlot type, which is unfortunately the majority of what's available today, we can get downstream effects of what they have eaten. The tip of the iceberg is the antibiotics, right? But they've also often been fed things like the seed oils, canola oil, safflower, sunflower, vegetable oil, right? Any of these bad oils, um, soybean oil, because you know why they feed them? These things, because they fatten them up and they can come to market much quicker. In real estate, as we all know, is, is, is priceless, right? They do this with the chickens too. They can literally bring them to market in two weeks, which is not normal. Anybody who's had chickens, I've raised a few and, and it takes months for these guys to get to full maturity when they're just eating, you know, grass and seeds and the things that they're supposed to eat. You can't get them to, to market in two weeks off their normal species appropriate diet. And so you got to have a little bit of caution, always read the labels, find out where you're getting your meat from, how it's sourced. If it's fish, make sure it's wild caught. So, so important. The source and quality matters so much. But back to the protein thing, the cool thing about this is that I think it definitively, this was a great study. And like I said, it was really recent in 2021. And for me, it pretty much brings to bed this issue of when's the optimal time for protein. We really should front load our day with protein. And that's for maintenance of muscle tissue, which it showed in this study, also growth of muscle tissue, which I'm personally looking for. But beyond that, there's actually been lots of studies that have looked at how eating protein in the morning can also benefit us significantly if our goal is to have weight loss or to lose weight. The reason for that being protein is dense. It is satiating. When we eat a meal with a lot of protein, in fact, no matter what meal it is, I always kind of recommend people start with their protein or their main dish or, you know, veggies and things, but, but don't eat carbohydrates at the beginning of the meal. That's for a couple of reasons, because if you front load with carbs, not only will they spike your blood sugar and therefore insulin, 
and cause more inflammation or the so-called biologic rust that happens in the body, right? We can measure this with something called hemoglobin A1C. If you haven't got yours measured ever, you better go get that checked. That's a measure of basically where you've been at with this glucose spiking thing over the last three months. Many of us can't afford to have a glucose monitor continuously. I, I don't have one myself. I've tried them. Um, and so I have some data and I know kind of how to use it, but I don't personally have one that I use every day. They're, they're pricey and I haven't wanted to go out and purchase one. And I don't think it's necessary uh, for most of us. We don't really need these things, but it's super important to see the trends, to see how our body responds to the carbohydrates, for example. And one thing that surprised me was that sometimes things that we wouldn't suspect can really jack up our blood sugar. And jacking up the blood sugar is not a good thing because it causes this biologic rust, this inflammation, this this oxidation, this glycation, which is what this hemoglobin A1C measures, is the glycation, and we can easily get a check. So get a hemoglobin A1C, get a fasting glucose, a fasting insulin at your next checkup, and thank me later. Super important to do, and if your doctor won't do it, you may have to reach out to the Institute for Functional Medicine and get a new doc. But, but anyway, going back to this protein thing, yes, we should front load it in the morning for all of these muscle benefit reasons. We want to conserve our muscle. We don't want to break it down to be used in our daily function, right? We want to keep our muscle and we may want to build it like I do. And so to do that, we got to front load our protein towards the morning. And at the same time, if we have, for example, a weight loss goal or we'd like to lose weight, this will help us with that as well because protein is satiating. We're not going to be hungry right away, which we will be if we were to have this classic, you know, standard American, sad, sad, sad breakfast if we're pumping ourselves full of breakfast cereals or bagels or croissants or, you know, baguettes or scones or whatever it may be that's carbohydrate laden, pancakes, waffles, you name it. These things will spike our blood sugar. And then, you know, about two hours later, what happens this big dip. Sometimes it, there's a, a overshoot where it goes and it dips down to the point where we have hypo, hypo, which is low lower blood sugar. And when we get this lower blood sugar, and many people suffer from this, often it's from a predominantly carbohydrate-rich diet, they can feel very weak, they can feel dizzy, and ding, 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 you feel hungry. <laughs> and that's if you're trying to lose weight, you don't want to feel hungry. So stacking carbohydrates in the morning, not a good idea uh, for spiking your insulin reasons. Also because it... Uh, will cause you to be hungry a couple hours later. And it's going to be hard to lose that weight. So stacking with protein in the morning is critical. It's so, so important. We'll get into a little bit more of the carbs issue later, but I wanted to give you folks some examples of some things you could eat for breakfast. You've probably heard me preach almost ad nauseum about what I eat. I love to eat every morning, almost, not, not every morning, but pretty close, maybe five mornings a week. I, I like to eat a couple of eggs because I just like how they taste. <laughs> Personally, I just kind of love them. And maybe partly because as a kid, I didn't get many of them. My mom thought eggs were going to kill me, right? I was a child of the 70s and early 80s. And we were told back then that cholesterol was going to kill us. So she never let us really have eggs very often. <laughs> so because of that, um, I didn't eat a lot of eggs as a kid. And eggs have not only protein, about seven grams per egg, maybe eight if it's a large egg, but they also have healthy natural cholesterol. And cholesterol is important for our bodies, especially natural cholesterol, like from eggs, for example. Our brain is mostly fat and cholesterol. We need it. All of our cells, the lining that keeps us from 
exploding or exploding, whichever way, depending on what way the fluid's going, that cell membrane is made up of cholesterol and fat. So we need it. We need fat anyway. And even if we don't eat it, our body knows it's essential. And so it will actually make it. The liver can make fat, right? There's, a, there's an enzyme in the liver that makes our fat, this so-called HMG-CoA reductase that uh, the statin medicines aim to block. And I'm not a big fan of those medications for most people. Some people need them, but I find that we've gotten to the point where we are literally prescribing them like water, which I'm not a fan because we are individuals. Everybody is a little bit different. Everybody needs a little bit of a different approach. It's not one size fits all. I remember in medical school, one of the professors was so excited about the advent of the statin medication. They were brand new back then. He was saying we should put it in the water because they're so awesome. And and I've literally seen people die from side effects from the statin medications. Not many, but I have seen a couple. And so they're not for everybody. It's not a one size fits all approach, right? So we do need healthy fat in our life. I start my day off with a couple of eggs, also some healthy uh, protein, maybe from a Teton Waters Ranch sausage. Um, many other ways I often, especially on the days where I'm maybe not eating any eggs, I reach for a couple of the milk products, if you guys can tolerate milk, like, you guessed it, Greek yogurt. I like everything Mediterranean. I love Greek yogurt. I love cottage cheese. I It's almost like a dessert for me um, that I can have because not only does it have lots of protein, but I just throw a couple of berries on top and I replaced what used to be a, <laughs> a daily ice cream fix. I almost had, every day of my life, I almost had ice cream in my adult years until maybe about a decade ago when I discovered that that wasn't awesome because <laughs> I thought I could just exercise it off, but I was getting inflamed and I didn't realize it even though I wasn't gaining weight. I was sort of the skinny fat that you've heard of. I was sort of borderline diabetic. I was not doing well with my energy. I was cranky. And this was because I just thought I could exercise my way out of a crappy diet, which was, you know, I ate mostly whole foods, but I eat ice cream every single day. Now I rarely have ice cream, but when I want a little fix of something creamy, maybe with some sweet on top, I just have Greek yogurt or cottage cheese, put some berries on top. If I'm feeling extra, I want to get, get my little sweet fix. I might drizzle a teeny bit of honey. Um, but I found in the morning, if you have protein coming from Greek yogurt, uh, cottage cheese, that's a great place. Um, some of the quinoas and grains like that uh, have a decent amount of protein. Um, I wouldn't be a proponent for like breakfast cereal, if you will, even if it's the quote unquote healthy kind like muesli or whatever these uh, quote unquote healthier fibrous kinds are and things like that, just because most of it has so much sugar. They're so highly, highly processed. To be honest for myself, I don't, I can't even remember the last time I've had any type of breakfast cereal. Like <coughs> literally it's been years. I think the last time I even had breakfast cereal was I bought this one particular brand that was like keto friendly and it had better ingredients and was um, instead of hardcore carbohydrate laden. It was some kind of grain-free um, grain free granola made of nuts, and they had some other varieties. But I haven't even had that in years because I just have realized that stacking with carbs in the morning is just not awesome. And so other protein options uh, for those that may not eat eggs, milk products like cheese, uh, Greek yogurt, uh, cottage cheese, also non-milk products like beans, lentils, for example, have a great amount of protein. The quinoa, I mentioned already, nuts like almonds. You know, if you want to have, hey, why not go back, have your bowl of Greek yogurt, put some fresh berries on top, 
slice some almonds and you're doing pretty good right there. Or my personal favorite is <laughs> I can use last night's leftovers to start my day in the morning with protein. Maybe I had some fish the night before, or maybe I had some grass fed and finished uh, beef or steak of some kind. And I can incorporate, I kind of make a hodgepodge. Uh, it's sort of like an omelet. We kind of affectionately call it in my house, the breakfast souffle. And we just kind of throw in whatever leftovers we have from the night before, dice up a bunch of veggies, a couple of eggs, and we make kind of these protein bowls, if you will. Um, so that's another option if you have some leftovers from last night. Uh, you can also mix in, this is something I've tried recently, mix in a little protein powder into your bowl, whatever that is, especially if it's kind of like one of these um, nut-based bowls, if you do quinoa, if you do like quinoa and you put a little milk, if you don't tolerate dairy, you can do almond milk or whatever. You can actually put some chia seeds in there and just let it sit for an hour or two. I often do this where I just sit it in the fridge overnight. I have a bowl, put some uh, seeds in there, some chia seeds, and I just pour some milk in it, just let it kind of sit overnight. And then I eat it in the morning. It's kind of my cereal, if you will. <laughs> and I throw some berries on top. It's it's kind of nice. So so those are some options. The seeds, like um, I mentioned, the almonds, uh, pumpkin seeds, chia seeds, these all have great sources of protein. Another thing you might not have thought of um, is certain breads. Uh, in general, I'm not a big fan of bread. You guys heard me just recently podcast on bread. It's not the bread of our ancestors, which used to be the staff of life. Not really so much anymore because it's such a poor quality bread that most of us have access to. But there are some sprouted grain breads, the real dense sort of German, you know, thick, dark colored pumpernickel rye bread that's like literally like you got to saw this stuff. You can't just cut through it because it's not fluffy. You know, kind of a rule of thumb is if your bread is really fluffy, it's probably not very good for you. <laughs> but Ezekiel bread, sprouted grains bread, um, this dense uh, rye pumpernickel bread you can get from Germany. Those are all acceptable. I throw, if I ever do that, uh, can't help myself, a half of an avocado on top, do a little avocado uh, toast. Another thing you could do is you could slather it with your favorite almond butter, either peanut butter, you know, almond butter, whatever kind of butter, but make sure it doesn't have any bad oils in it, right? Like the peanut butter that I buy only has peanuts and water, nothing else, like literally nothing else. They don't add any other canola oil, seed oil, nothing else. It's literally just the peanuts and salt. Um, but the bottom line is <clears throat> protein is essential. We have to consume it daily. And so start your day off, pack it in with the power of protein in the morning, stack it heavy towards the morning, which I do with my breakfast. And I usually have some kind of a snack, um, which is typically a protein shake. And so I, I, like this morning, I had 40 grams of protein in my protein shake, 30 in breakfast. So in the first couple hours of my day after I had worked out, I did 70 grams or over half of my daily intake of protein just in those morning hours. And then later in the day, I'll have some protein with every meal, but it'll be a little bit less stacked. And so if you're going to stack, stack it towards the morning. That's the latest data. That's the benefit. So critical, so crucial. And it does have also those benefits of weight loss because it satiates you. There's a lot of data that show that if you eat protein with breakfast, you won't get hungry so quickly. You're not going to be reaching for snacks so quickly and you can actually lose weight. And so while we're talking a little bit about uh, timing, why not talk a little bit about timing of the carbohydrates? Because this has been somewhat equally controversial and, and it's gone full circle. <laughs> and, and, and once again, this is not a one-size-fits-all approach. It depends on you, on your needs, your athletic performance needs, 
what your goals are, you know, if it's weight loss, weight gain, weight maintenance, you know, exercise performance, it's all going to depend a little bit. So this is not a one size fits all approach. But what I will share is just some data, which is kind of interesting that you may not have totally um, understood in the past. And, and one of the first things I'll profess is what I had shared earlier is that stacking, stacking carbs first thing early in the morning is not awesome. For all the reasons I already mentioned that you get the spike in blood sugar and then a dip, which is hypoglycemia, then you're hungry again and you want that snack. So for those purposes, not good. But also in the morning, interestingly enough, we all are a little bit what we call insulin resistant in the morning. And the reason for that is that every one of us, no matter what time it is, usually it's early, early in the morning, four o'clock, five o'clock, we have a spike in our hormone called cortisol. And that is what helps us kind of wake up. So we have this spike in cortisol, which also elevates our blood sugar. So we already have a tendency when we wake up first thing in the morning, have a little bit of a spike in our blood sugar and correspondingly in our insulin. So that makes us a little bit what we call insulin resistant in the morning. And so if we pound, pound, pound the carbs in the morning, we're going to have an even bigger spike because we're already naturally a little bit insulin resistant based upon this, what's called the dawn, like the morning, D-A-W-N, the dawn phenomena, which is that we have a natural spike in our blood sugar, our cortisol, really, which is the hormone that causes this. We have a spike in our cortisol in the early morning, which makes us a little bit insulin resistant. So the dawn phenomenon of having elevated cortisol in the morning makes it so we shouldn't have big bursts of carbohydrates early on because we're already a little bit insulin resistant. So if we add on the carbs, it's going to just make it even easier for us to spike in our blood sugar, our glucose, and correspondingly our insulin. And you guys know by now that insulin is what makes us fat. Carbs make us fat. Fat does not necessarily make us fat. Even my grandmother taught me this. So when we talk about carbs, we got to keep in mind that, you know, there's the simple carbs, which are you know, like the juices, sugars, right? Even honey and milk, they're simple sugars. These are the simple carbs. And so we don't want to consume too many of these. In fact, I, I love to tell people to eat their fruit and do not drink their fruit. So I am not a fan of juicing. I almost never juice. There are some juices here and there that have been shown to have benefit, like pomegranate juice, cranberry juice, um, but I do not juice. Uh, the reason being, I like to get the full benefit of the fruit. So I actually like to eat a whole pomegranate, and I'm a little weird. I like to chew on cranberries occasionally. I like the fibrous tissue in there that prevents a big spike in the blood uh, glucose and then correspondingly the insulin. It also gives you more of the phytonutrients if you eat the whole fruit. So I always proclaim to the world to eat your fruit, don't drink your fruit. And so I'm a fan of the more complex carbohydrates, which have three or more sugar molecules, right? These are higher in the complex carbs, which are like the real fruit and vegetables, things like quinoa, sweet potatoes, things like that. And the reason that these are better is because they come with fiber. And the fiber is awesome for our gut health, right? Our microbiota that lives within us, on us, inside of us, these gut bacteria that can be our friends, or they can be our foe. If we feed them the wrong stuff, they are here to help us or to hurt us, but we get to decide with what we put in our mouth. And so if we are eating complex carbohydrates with prebiotic fibers, this will help feed 
these healthy bacteria, which will in turn help us by producing things like vitamins. They can produce B vitamins. They can produce uh, serotonin, the happy hormone, right? They can help our gut cells, the enterochromaffin cells. They can help them produce the serotonin, 95% of which, who knew, was in the gut, only 5% in the brain. And so we can affect our mood, our health by eating these fibers, these complex carbohydrates with prebiotic fiber. And so that's what I always recommend. And so don't eat too many of the simple carbs, right? Try to steer away from the juices, eat your fruit, don't drink it. There's a study I want to, I, ha I have to mention this because I found it so interesting. This was a six month study done to look at whether carbs in the morning, carbs at night, carbs all day long, like what was the best? And it's super interesting because they had a couple of different groups. They had, um, and they all had the same number of calories. So this is not one group got more calories. They basically standardized it so that they all got the same number of calories. But what they did is they timed it a little bit differently. They had one group, which ended up, these were all overweight people, 80 of them, that had um, eaten, one group was only carbohydrates at dinner, and then the other group was at all of the meals. And what they found, this was super interesting, because they did have the same amount or calories, if you will, of the carbohydrates between both groups. And this was reported in the journal Obesity, uh, April 7th, 2011, I'll put this in the show notes, and the title says it all. It says right here, greater weight loss and hormonal changes after six months diet with carbohydrates eaten mostly at dinner. So they found that they lost more weight and also had better markers. These are markers like their cholesterol levels, their C-reactive protein, that's a measure of inflammation in the body. If you have not had this one checked, I would highly recommend you get this thing called HSCRP, which is highly sensitive CRP. It's a really important marker because if your number is sky high, there is inflammation going on in your body and you need to address that. You need to dig down deep to the root cause and figure out what's going on because literally the base root sort of origin of almost all disease rests in inflammation. So you got to get rid of it if you have it, get rid of the inflammation. And so they measured those markers, which are CRP, tumor necrosis factor, TNF-alpha, interleukin-6, um, as well as cholesterol panels. And what they found is that those people that had the carbohydrates at dinner rather than all day long had better scores and more improvement in all of these markers, which super interesting. They also found their leptin and adiponectin concentrations were also better. These are the satiety hormones. And so it was really interesting. They also suggested, although they didn't study this in particular, they suggested that that stacking the carbohydrates more towards the evening rather than all day long, that did have some benefits with insulin resistance and the metabolic syndrome. So this was reported, like I said, 2011, the Journal of Obesity. Super interesting where the group that had their carbohydrates mostly at night as opposed to all day long, they lost more weight. They had better markers with respect to decreased inflammation and things such as that. And so that is one um, source. And like I said, there's no one size fits all here, but what I would profess will be applicable perhaps to almost everyone, not everyone, of course, but perhaps to most people is to limit your carbohydrate intake in the morning because you're already naturally a little bit insulin resistant, so you're not going to do as well with carbs. Plus, you want to stack your protein anyway. You're to stack your protein, healthy fats in the morning, 
because it'll tide you over for much longer. <clears throat> you won't feel hungry so quickly and you'll actually eat less food throughout the day because you'll be more satisfied. And so that's a benefit of stacking your protein in the morning. There's some other studies that I'll share with you um, looking at this because it, it, it sort of depends on what we are looking at. So there's um, everybody is different, right? Everybody is different. The timing is important, um, but you have to consider your individual circumstance. For example, if you're a bodybuilder, these rules are going to be a little bit different. You're going to be eating more carbs throughout the day, probably stacking them even a little bit towards whenever your workout is. So if you're working out towards the beginning of the day, you will actually most likely stack some carbohydrates because that has sort of an anabolic or growth effect. And if you're just pumping iron hours and hours and hours of the day, you may want to stack carbohydrates with your protein. And that's been studied in athletes, especially bodybuilders, and that can help promote muscle growth if you're doing that. That doesn't fit many of us. Although I'm trying to build muscle, I certainly wouldn't classify myself as a bodybuilder. Um, but having some carbs after your workout is just fine. Some people may actually do them. If you're a bodybuilder, I suspect you do them before your workout as well because your workout is probably lasting several hours, right? Most of us do less than an hour, myself included. Um, but uh, there is, is some point in taking carbs earlier in the day, especially for these elite athletes, bodybuilders, those that are really doing lots of performance type stuff. And you don't want to be exercising all day with eating nothing. That doesn't even make sense, right? Because you're going to start breaking down your own muscle mass to <laughs> be able to, you know, supply the body with calories, which is not what you want to do. So a little bit of a fasted workout in the morning, which is what I do is great. But if you're going to do prolonged activity more than an hour, certainly I would recommend you have some kind of intake, be it protein and uh, carbs, um, etc. because long workouts, um, you need that kind of stuff. You need to replenish your muscle glycogen. You know, if you're a long distance runner, absolutely, you're going to want to have some carbs. You're not going to want to be tearing down your muscle mass to supply the body with the necessary, you know, um, building blocks for glucose, which would come from protein if you didn't have any carbs around. So there's also an interesting note, and I'll just mention this because a lot of folks nowadays are keto or sort of partly keto or paleo. And so they kind of looked at, how that might um, play into this whole carb thing. So first of all, most of these folks won't be having a lot of carbs. Generally speaking, the ketogenic folks try to keep their carbs less than 50 grams in a day. But they looked at um, timing them when you do take your carbs around a workout is a good time, right? Because you want to keep your muscle glycogen sort of boosted. You want to be able to replenish whatever you've depleted. And also they noticed that some people that are on a ketogenic diet, which I am not. I would consider myself on a sort of low-ish carbohydrate diet, but I, I'm not full-blown keto. In the morning, I think I'm keto because I haven't eaten, right, for 8 to 12 hours when I wake up, depending on what time I went to bed and so on. Um, my last meal, my goal is always to have it three hours before bedtime. So if I sleep for eight hours, I'm waking up 11 hours after my last meal. So by then, most of us will start to be in keto I do my workout in the morning fasted, so I have a little bit of the ketosis going on in the morning, but it doesn't really last all day because I do consume healthy carbs. I, I love berries. What can I say? I've already <laughs> mentioned that. But some people find that uh, what happens um, some people find what happens is that when they 
are not getting enough carbohydrates, they don't sleep well. And so a lot of folks have complained that on the ketogenic diet, they may have some insomnia. And when that has happened, what they found is that they have some carbs closer to bedtime can actually help them with their sleep. So anyway, there, there is some timing to consider. Uh, it's not a one size fits all. We're all a little bit different. We need to listen to our bodies. I hope you all have a healthcare practitioner that'll work with you and or additionally a nutrition and performance or um, wellness coach that can work with you as well. If you want to jump on in to my Thrive community, you're welcome to do that. We support one another. There's lots of great energy there, lots of helpful information. Once again, it is not medical advice, um, but we have a lot of sharing of great information and we'd love to do that. And so if you haven't already joined me, I hope you will. Right, shout out, shout out <laughs> to all those who have joined the Thrive community. I hope you'll join. I hope you'll share with us. And if you found any value here at all, I really hope that you will share it out on social media, share it with your family and friends. We love, love, love to get those five-star reviews because that's what keeps the podcast going, what keeps the YouTube channel going. So write a review, hit the like button, subscribe, all of that good stuff because we can help more people that way. We want to get the word out. There's so much useful information out there. I'm literally swimming, and, and I, I just read 20 studies prior to doing this podcast. I don't have time to share them all, but I just want you to know how powerful these concepts are and that we need to apply them individually. There is no one-size-fits-all approach. It is something that we have to cater to our body's needs. And so I always practice what I love to call mindful eating or intuitive eating that is feeding our body in the way that it likes and needs and wants to be fed because that will give us personally the most benefit for me i found that stacking my protein in the morning works really well for my goals and needs and then having a little bit of carbs throughout the day works really good for me i i tend to eat a low-ish uh, carb diet but i eat lots of healthy carbs i love berries i eat handfuls of berries all throughout the day they're incredible they're amazing I love, love, love them, but I, I eat my fruit, just like I profess and proclaim to the world. Eat your fruit, don't drink it. So give me a review, please uh, please share this. I love you guys, I love doing this. And if you haven't already, join the Thrive community. We would love to see you at Thrive. I'm excited, I worked with uh, my publisher again this week and the book is still on schedule for August. In fact, we're getting a website up really soon thepreventablebook.com so sign up there to get all the announcements what's going on with that I can't wait to have that book out to you it's going to share so much useful information of how you can not only avoid disease but build unshakable health so until next time Dr. Thomas Hemingway here signing off and sending you big aloha and can't wait to see you again real real soon aloha <laughs> <laughs>